Hello and welcome back. You're listening to Behind the Podium, a podcast dedicated to all things Olympics as they happen and as medals are won. We're your hosts, Daniel Lacerdo and Ella Smith. In today's episode, Daniel and I will be discussing the highlights from Tokyo over the past few days and look forward to the next days of action. We also speak to Aussie badminton duo Gronje Somerville and Simon Lung days after their debut Olympic campaigns came to a close. It's been a massive few days. Right now, the tally of Olympic gold medals for Australia stands at 14 gold, 4 silver and 15 bronze. On Sunday, we had our best day ever, 4 golds in one day. It's been dubbed Sensational Sunday. What was your favourite moment from the weekend? Yeah, that's right. I think we are well on our way to getting my 20 gold medal tally prediction. My favourite event was the BMX freestyle final, which Aussie Logan Martin came out on top winning gold. This was the first time this event was included in the Olympics, so Logan did make history there. The way that the finals run is that each athlete has two rounds now. After he'd finished his first round, Logan Martin had already won gold. So he went out for his second round and just had fun flipping the bike in the air and just performing some amazing stunts. Now in the women's, the Australian rider Natalie Dean finished fifth, which was a fantastic effort from her. Charlotte Worthington, who is British, came out on top and she won the gold in women's. She made history not only winning this event, but she also performed the first ever 360 degree backflip in the Olympic competition and was the first woman to ever land it. She flipped backwards in the air while rotating her body and her bike 360 degrees. So it was just fantastic to watch and such a great inclusion of the sport in this Olympic Games. 100% Ella. But look, my favourite moment from Sensational Sunday has to come from the water, not the pool, but the ocean. It was Matt Wern who won sailing in the laser class. He came to Sunday with an unassailable lead, which meant that he could not be topped in the medal race. Because in the first 10 races of qualification, his point score was so low because he came first and second so many times that no one could catch him. But what I really loved from this race was he could have just took it easy and just had a bit of a victory lap enjoying his last few days in Tokyo. But he actually went really hard, came in second place and kept a really strong score. So good on Matt Wern and it's a great gold medal to watch. Yeah, and of course, the other two gold medals that were won on that sensational Sunday were in the pool. Emma McKeon was part of both of them, winning the 50-metre freestyle and the 4x100-metre medley event by the women. That was a fantastic race to watch. We beat USA again by 0.13 seconds to make an Olympic record. That brings the total medals won by the Australian Dolphins to 29 gold, four of the gold won by Emma McKeon. She became the GOAT of Australian swimming over the weekend. If she was a country competing in the Olympics, she would be 11th on the medal tally just based on her swimming performance. And interestingly, prior to these games, she had never won a gold medal at any international event. So coming out with four is just fantastic and so awesome to see. So from my predictions to yours, Daniel, you predicted that the Matildas would win gold at these Olympics. Heartbreakingly, that hasn't happened. They lost to Sweden yesterday. Can you talk me through your thoughts? Yeah, Canella, it was a Sad game, wasn't it? Fridolina Rolfo, the Swedish striker, scoring in the 46th minute and taking that win 1-0 against us. Look, I will say, coming to this tournament, I picked the gold medal for Matildas because they played so hard together. It's not over for them. They had the bronze medal match against the USA this week. And look, I love an Australian medal, but nothing beats beating the USA. So my fingers are crossed on that one because I think it will be a tightly contested affair. I'll still be backing the Matildas, of course, for that bronze medal. All the way. Now let's get into the athletics. Yeah, so I predicted last week for Rowan Brown to have a pretty strong weekend. And he came first in his heat, beating Johan Blake, a silver medalist from Olympic Games gone by. In that weekend, he went to the semi-final. We just camped short. But look, we're so proud of Rowan. He's only 23 years old, Ella. 
Yeah, it was awesome to watch him and he's quickly amassed a strong following, not only for his running, but for his trademark mullet. The actual 100 metre final itself was really dramatic. The British finals broke his start and got disqualified. Su Bing Tang from China was the first Asian man to make the final in 89 years. And then it was anyone's race and the Italian Lamont Jacobs came through to win. So very exciting stuff there. It was also really good to watch the 100 metre women's final which was absolutely dominated by the Jamaicans. They took out first, second, and third. Yeah, Ellie, and you mentioned the Italian winning the 100-meter final, but I want to go to the field now because another Italian, Gianmarco Tamberi, along with Mutaz Essabashin from Qatar, won the men's high jump final with Brandon Stark coming fifth. Yeah, that was a great event to watch. Awesome effort by Brandon Stark for making it to the final and representing Australia so well. The two gold medalists, Tamberi and Barsham, both cleared the same height. They were given the decision to either have a jump off again or to both win gold medal. They just immediately agreed to both share the gold and they shared such a good hug afterwards and just showed off the Olympic spirit. And Daniel, you must have been stoked as an Italian yourself to see them take out the high jump in the 100 metre final within the space of a few minutes. It was, as I would say, bellissimo. <laughs> <laughs> so it was fantastic. Great to see. While we have had these standout athletes, we've also had a lot of Aussies making the semi-finals, which is a really impressive feat and across a range of distances and events. So we've had personal bests set by Liz Clay in the 100 meter hurdle and Riley Day in the 200 meter. And we've also got two women competing in the 1500 meter semi tomorrow night and also two men in the men's 1500 meter semi on Thursday. Moving from track to field now, we can't go past Matthew Denny. He finished fourth in discus. He missed the bronze by less than a beer can is what he told reporters. So it was heartbreaking for him to just miss out on the podium. But he also achieved the best finish in discus ever by an Australian male at the Olympics. So he should be really proud of himself. And Ella, we also have three Australian women in the javelin final. Yeah, that's right. Mackenzie Little and Kelsey Lee Barber both made personal best to get through to the final. And Catherine Mitchell is also there. Yeah, we're going to look forward to it, aren't we? Now let's chat to an Olympic duo who are fresh off the plane from Tokyo. Grunja Somerville and Simon Long competed in the mixed doubles badminton event at the Games, but didn't progress past the group stage. Grunja also competed in the women's doubles with Setiania Mapasa. So Grunja and Simon, this was your first Olympic Games. How does it feel to officially be an Olympian? It's really good. Um, obviously, being at the Olympics, it's hit me, oh, it's actually real, but such a surprise and a shock to me still. I'm sure, like, once I get home from quarantine, it, it will really hit me that, hey, man, you're actually, you know, an Olympian now. Is it the same thing, yeah. I think like once we were able to step on court, it was really like, okay, we're at the Olympics and it's all happening. Up until that point, there was still that little fear that something could pop up and actually come to fruition. But I think once that happened, yeah, just stoked to have the full Olympic experience after that. And I think once we get home and see our family and friends, see how proud they are and really soak up their energy and everything, I think it'll also reinstate the feat of what we've achieved. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm staying with you, Gronja, because... I've been looking at your Instagrams over the course of the games. I've been seeing you've been fully immersed in catching up and speaking to all the different athletes in the village. So what was it like sort of being in that environment and being part of the Australian team in Tokyo? So I definitely wanted to soak up everything that I could, even though our first mixed doubles match was the next day at noon after the opening ceremony. So it was awesome getting to know the athletes, like when we were waiting in line for the opening ceremony, chatting to basketballers, um, Jess Fox, some of the divers. Then, yeah, just in Australian headquarters because we were obviously trying to keep a bit more to our own country and you know, not going out and socialising as much. They had a lot of nice communal areas to watch other sports and food areas to eat. So it was really cool just getting to know a bunch of different athletes. Yeah, I've been loving watching all the Olympians like on social media, just scrolling through all their feeds. Um, Simon, was the Athletes Village what you expected as well? Were there any surprises or anything? No, I think obviously with COVID, you know, there's probably some things that are quite different compared to 
you know, without COVID and how probably the athletes' village will look like, what there is to do inside the village. Without thinking about that, I think the athletes' village was definitely something that I was expecting, if not probably even better than what I had in mind. So, but no, I think definitely the atmosphere and the vibe was uh, something that really, I guess, surprised me and I was uh, very happy about to be a part of at least. I think the Australian HQ they went above and beyond with like decking out our headquarters with pictures of Australian landscape and animals like next to your bedside table having these um, Mm. things that school children have written about like wishing us good luck. Feel like you're supported by people back home and just that familiarity and just liven up the environment because it's pretty stark without all the extra touches that they add in. They make it really feel like home. Now I want to ask about the competition. I could ask about the Athletes Village all day. As a mixed doubles pairing, you came up against some really tough opponents. The Danes and the Indonesians are ranked really high and the Japanese went on to win bronze. So we know that COVID really limited the opportunity for international competition. So how was it being able to play against these international players after not having to be able to compete because of COVID? Being the Olympics and being our first tournament together in so long, it meant that we had no pressure and we really just had the mindset that we just wanted to enjoy the game. And I think our chemistry and how we get along as friends as well as on court really helped us loosen up and just have fun in the game, which helped us play our best. Considering we hadn't been training together, I think we both had separately been working on the aspects that we needed to for the game and they just were able to come together at the right time, which was uh, really fortunate. Yeah, Simon, you mentioned the six month lead up to the games was quite challenging with all that preparation. Can you speak on that? Um, so it's been quite challenging trying to train and kind of get ready for the Olympics. Coming up to probably the last two months leading up to Olympics was the most stressful, I guess, might be the word. Um, Just trying to get through the emotions and knowing that I'm doing enough in training and preparing myself to the best I can just to, you know, try and perform really well at the Olympics is, was quite tough for me. Yeah, I think it's just there was a bit of pressure, I guess, not from anyone else, but more so from myself. I think at then we achieved pretty decent result considering, you know, how things were back at home here during COVID. It's been tough, really tough, but I think it's all part of the Olympic journey and I'm quite happy that I kind of went through all that. Yeah, it must look great after all that adversity coming out for the other end. Keeping in the theme of competition, I'd like to talk about one moment in your match against Japan where you, Gronio, chose to switch your racket mid-rally while Simon covered for you. Now, I understand this is somewhat of a normal manoeuvre in badminton, but to me, outsiders, it seems pretty bizarre. Could you talk us through what you were thinking during the point, which actually went on to win? Maybe the third shot in, Simon and I clashed rackets, so the frame broke. It was um, dented in. When I'm hitting my shots, the strings aren't straight, so it can kind of go anywhere. When this happens, you try to get to the front so that like you don't get targeted as much. If they know you've broken your racket, they try to hit to you a lot so that you make a mistake. So I tried to get to the front so that Simon could kind of cover the rest of the court. Um, and then I think he realized when I hit something that it sounded funny. So he, once I got to the front, he was like, go, go, go. And he told me to like run off the court. So I did that and I switched the racket. So we always have another racket lying on top of our bags, kind of ready for this situation. And then he set it up for, um, I think two smashes and then I, yeah, I finished it. So we won the point and that was pretty epic and it went a bit viral in Australia to our surprise. Um, but it was great that everyone was able to see some badminton, even if it was this short little clip on the news of us. Yeah, no, very epic indeed. Simon, what were you thinking? Honestly, I didn't even know. I think it was the shot when she hit that clear from the back. I was like, no, that doesn't sound right. She broke her strings. Once she had the chance to kind of move up to the front of the court, I just was waiting for the chance to tell her just to go and get off the court just so she can change rackets. Let you Uh handle it. Yeah, just let me handle it, you know. Don't get in my way. Um, You clearly handled it. You won the point, so. So, no, that was good. Um, 
I was kind of prepared for it, knowing that, you know, she had a broken string. I've done it in the past before. You can say I'm very experienced in that area of playing singles. And I'm quite happy that it all kind of pulled up to be the result we wanted in that point, And we actually won it. Um, didn't expect to go viral, especially being at the Olympics and doing something like this. Even though it's kind of considered, you know, like Ronnie was saying, quite normal in badminton. But if it entertains people back at home, then, you know, I guess we've done our part as well. Yeah, it definitely did go viral. I think it was good because I guess there is not a lot of coverage of badminton in Australia, especially when you've got these other sports to compete with. But I wanted to ask, badminton is quite a small sport in Australia compared to a lot of big powerhouse nations, particularly in Asia. So with this, like, you know, going viral and also just being on the Olympics and representing Australia, are you hoping that the exposure from the Olympics increase participation in or even appreciation of the sport? Yeah, definitely. I'm super like passionate about promoting badminton within Australia because I feel like it is underappreciated and the general Australian population just hasn't had the exposure to seeing high-level badminton. So they have this preconceived idea that it's a slow, lollipopping game that you play in your backyard when actually they see it at a high level and they're like, well, this is like intense and you guys are doing some crazy stuff. Um, whereas, you know, in Asia and the countries where it's big, the badminton stars are like huge sports stars over there and, you know, people are brought up playing it in primary school and high school and their families go and play. It's just a totally different culture around badminton there. So yeah, I really want to help get it big in Australia and hopefully kids seeing us playing can motivate them to go have a hit, try it out at their local club and yeah, potentially have another badminton star in the making. Hopefully with how the whole Oz team has competed in Tokyo and the results we got, hopefully that really helped getting a lot more people back home playing the sport that obviously we enjoy and is fairly underrated. Yeah, awesome. Guys, one more question. You have 11 days left in hotel quarantine. What are you going to be doing? Simon's trying to win the Uber Eats Olympics. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not. I'm really not. Just taking it easy, I guess. Yeah, I've just yeah. been watching so much of the Olympics. I have like three screens going each day. No, it's good, I think. It's my first quarantine, so I kind of didn't have much expectation anyway, so. Yeah, you guys deserve a break, that's for sure. <laughs> Always. Enjoy the rest of your quarantine. I hope it goes quickly enough. So we're well into the second week of competition and we're getting to the pointy end of many events. So Ella, what are you tuning into for the next few days? Yeah, so I'm really excited for the women's beach volleyball quarterfinal tonight. The Aussies Talika Clancy and Marioff Del Sola are taking on Canada at 11pm tonight. Now this will be a really tough game. The Canadians are ranked number two and the Aussies are ranked number 18. However, the Aussies have won three out of their four matches that they've had in Tokyo and in keeping with the Aussie underdog never say die spirit, I'm feeling really positive for them tonight. Yeah, 100%. They've both shown that sort of grit in past tournaments that they can really push on through as a duo and get through these tough games. So look forward to seeing them tonight. Yeah, well, it'll be a late one for you tonight, Daniel. Uh, Over to the hockey now. Sadly, the hockey ruse had the same fate as the Matildas going down 1-0 in a nail-biting quarterfinal against India. It was tough to watch. The girls finished with tears in their eyes. So congratulations to them for getting this far. It is really impressive. And now we've got the Kookaburras who are holding the flag for the Australian gold medal hopes. They have a semi-final on tonight against Germany which is going to be a really good game. Yeah, definitely, Ella. It was great seeing the Kookaburras knock out the Netherlands in that penalty shootout, seeing your old schoolmate Tim Brand actually do the decisive penalty to win the game for them. I'm going to look forward to seeing them play Germany tonight. Gold medal game on the line. It's going to be a massive one. Yeah, now let's get into the basketball. The Opals and the Boomers are still in, still holding the Aussie hopes really high. Daniel, you're obviously a basketball fan. Can you tell me about what's going on there? Yeah, so we'll start in the women's draw because the Opals last night had a nail-biting affair. For context, Ella... They lost their last two games, so they needed a big win against Puerto Rico to progress. 
a big win equated to 25 points or more to get to the knockout stages. So with about 30 seconds left, the Opals are up by 24 points. So obviously the game's won, but it doesn't really matter because they need 25 points or more to progress. And then Kayla George, our big center, stepped up and delivered a fadeaway jump shot, which put us up by 26. And we held on and won the game by 27. Massive performances from her and Mariana Tolo to get us through. And then we'll be playing the US tomorrow afternoon. That's going to be tough. Yeah, it'll be a very tight affair for sure. On the men's draw tonight, the Boomers play Argentina. Argentina are a tough side. They're led by veteran Louis Scola, the 41-year-old. But I'm really looking forward to see the Boomers push on and get that elusive medal that they've been after for so many years. Yeah, and that is on tonight. So we're really looking forward to that. In another sport now, moving on to diving, we've already had Esther Chin and Annabelle Smith compete and make the semis in the three-metre springboard. And tomorrow we've got the 10-metre platform preliminary where Melissa Wu and Nikita Haynes are competing. Melissa is an Olympic silver medalist and a Commonwealth Games gold medalist. So watch this space, 10 metres diving off and flipping in the air is just phenomenal to watch. So I think that's going to be really cool. 100%. She won silver in Beijing. So it'd be really cool to see how she goes in her fourth Olympics in Tokyo. So tomorrow continues the skateboarding, not in the street, but now in the park. We'll have top ranked Aussie skateboarder, Poppy Sarrelson, beginning her Olympics campaign. We're also going to have Keegan Parker and Kieran Woolley on Thursday, but really look for Poppy Olsen to push forward tomorrow. She's a Bondi native. And she was the first Australian female to compete in the Summer X Games in 2016. So it'll be really cool to see how she goes in her first ever Olympics campaign. Yeah, because that's going to be a brand new event. It will be really exciting to watch as well as history is bound to be made. And that's it for today. Thanks for tuning into Behind the Podium, Central News' Olympic podcast. It was great chatting to Gronya and Simon and discussing their first Olympic Games. Now, be sure to keep an eye on your podcast feeds for more good stuff from us and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Central News UTS. And we'd love to hear from you and how you think our Aussie teams are going. So send us a message or tweet at us and don't forget the hashtag Behind the Podium. It's going to be another big week for our Aussies with more medals assured to come. So with that all being said, take care, go Australia. And we'll be back on Friday bringing you everything Olympics straight from Tokyo.